0: Welcome in to another episode of the Half Court Press Podcast. I'm John Niatawa, He's Chris Hetty Here to break down uh, the recent happenings in Nebraska and Creighton Hoops. There's we were been a lot. So close to having two teams, being able to talk about two teams that, that picked up top 10 road wins. Mm-hmm. Creighton got it done late against Seton Hall, and Nebraska made a ferocious comeback. Mm-hmm. I mean, like... Weird. Put everything into it and yeah. it nearly got over the hump at the end. Just had the uh, potential game winner cam max layup shot it was it was a it was blocked it maryland did everything. literally everything they possibly could to lose that game you think so but nebraska yes. in a way did a lot of things they win. did yeah, yeah but
1: like maryland missed like two the front end of two one and ones and yeah. like turned the ball over in the backcourt right. um yeah we, we can get into that later but yeah we we were very close i i thought you were going to say to just talking about two teams who won in the same week oh uh <laughs> but you're right almost i mean two top ten te- i mean took two top ten teams to the brink and one won and one didn't
0: yeah so we'll start with the team that won. Creighton yeah. obviously uh, took down Seton Hall, eighty-seven to eighty-two. Um, it was kind of one of those, another one of those installments of Creighton's small ball versus the opposing like more traditional lineup. Mm-hmm. Seton Hall is actually probably bigger at the four and the five than most teams. Uh, Sandro Kashvili mm-hmm. is six eleven, and Romaro Gill is six seven two. Um, and he's the Big East leading shot blocker. So those guys can be somewhat of an intimidating presence on the interior, yep. on both ends of the floor. And then they bring another guy off the bench, Obiagu, who's seven foot. Um, so Seton Hall really has the ability to um, to control the paint, whereas Creighton um, was going to counter that with speed and quickness, and I thought uh, did a great job of using sort of its the the standard advantages that you'd think you'd have with five guards on the floor at the same time mm-hmm. which Creighton did mm-hmm. um, had to go to because of foul trouble I thought I thought the Jays did a good job of like being quicker to the ball um, playing with a little bit more desire and hustle than Seton Hall like the want to was there and that's kind of been part of Creighton's MO all year but to do it on the opposing floor of the Big East leader um, I thought said a lot and so the Jays made a ton of hustle plays. They they pushed tempo in the first half when they had to go small, super small, with five guards on the floor. Um, they they had I think there were fifteen possessions that the, that Creighton had offensively with those five guards, and their average length of possession was just under twelve seconds. Um, they were really pushing tempo, and and, and Alexander hit three threes in sort of the fast break slash secondary break situations mm-hmm. where. Um, Seton Hall just couldn't quite get matched up. Creighton got a couple layups. And um, and then the Jays in the second half, I thought, were they were really clever. When Seton Hall pressed out to try to take away the three-point line, I thought Creighton did a good job of um, making Seton Hall pay. You know, They'd space him out and then back cuts to the rim, um, maybe slip a screen. Christian Bishop had a play where he faked a dribble handoff and – turned and drove to the rim for a dunk. And uh, and then once the Jays went super small again, I thought they did a good job of sort of attacking mismatches. Damian Jefferson was everywhere, uh, cleaning up on the glass and cutting to the rim, beating his man. Denzel Mahoney went one-on-one in isolation situations, and, and also Denzel hit two big threes. He hit one in transition to give Creighton the lead for good, 69-66 with about six minutes left. And then with, uh, I don't know, I think it was like a minute Left in the game, Seton Hall pulled within one and had some momentum. There was a breakdown by the Pirates. They were in matchup zone, I think, but lost Denzel, and and he stepped up and hit um, a three-point shot to put Creighton up for it, and, and, and then the Jays sealed it with, with free throws late. So it was an impressive win for Creighton, obviously, if they want to uh, to stay in contention in the Big East title race, which they do. um they had to win at Seton Hall to keep keep their keep keep the Pirates from building too much of a lead. Or cushion. so, they still
1: have like a two game lead. Is that right?
0: Yeah, Seton Hall is a two game lead over Creighton, and Villanova won on, on Wednesday as well. So there's two teams tied for second. Um, the Jays do get four of their final six games at home, and uh, they get Seton Hall again. So we'll see if the Pirates stumble. Like obviously, Creighton needs help. They're two games back they still need all to lose again, but, uh, and, and Creighton has to avoid any mishaps or, or hiccups, which is going to be tough obviously in this league, but, uh, the Jays have a chance. And so I think that was, um, one of the goals for them going into that game. And then the other takeaway is just, I mean, I think we talked about this a month ago of like how, how much better can Creighton get or what's the sort of, uh, ceiling for this group, especially given its limitations, they have a 6'7 center and a 6'11 center off the bench. That's like they're only two big men. And you could argue that Christian Bishop's not even a traditional big man. Mm-hmm. So without that size, like what is, you know, how, how can Creighton overcome its flaws? And I thought the game on Wednesday was sort of the uh, peak example of what, I, I guess, just how potent Creighton can be with, the pieces that it has. Marcus Zagorowski creating the way he does. Tyson Alexander didn't even mention his defense um, against Miles Powell. He locked up one of the best scorers in college basketball. Um, Powell was three of 16 from the floor and, and Tyshawn did, did a good job. No, granted, Creighton did a good job too of, of sort of, it was a team defense. They had help uh, for Tyshawn Alexander in, in certain spots and Marcus Zagorowski got a piece of Powell and, and, uh, Damian Jefferson had to guard him at times, but Tyshawn was the primary defender in most situations, and he made uh, made it uncomfortable for Powell to find a rhythm. And so, um, I, I just feel like Creighton's found a nice piece or a nice flow with the groups or with the group of guys that it has. It's only a seven man rotation now with Sharif Mitchell out with injury, but uh, um, we saw what when things are clicking, what it could look like against Seton Hall, which. Um, the pirates are one of the best defensive teams in the country and they Creighton scored 87 points on them
1: but explain to me how they score 87 points and Mitch Ballack has zero yeah you know what i mean right like you get a you, you get a top 10 win on the road and Mitch Ballack doesn't even score like that's impressive it's and an, that's that also shows – that's also that's got to give you a ton of confidence going into You know the tournament, or going into this final stretch, because that shows you that you have people off the bench. Denzel Mahoney can score eighteen. Damian Jefferson can score eighteen. Like you, if somebody isn't on, you have some people that can fill in. You know what I mean? Like that—that goes so far, Um, and I think it shows how good the team actually is. I mean, they only played seven guys, and one of them didn't score, and he's probably their best shooter and scorer. Like that's amazing.
0: Yeah, it really is. I I think one of the Comments that Coach McDermott made after the game was like he's almost like he's just like I don't think it was frustration, but it's kind of like well, if you're gonna guard Mitch Ballack like that, then the other people are gonna make you pay. Yeah. So Seaton Hall was just basically glued to him, mm-hmm. uh didn't let him get any looks. They, I thought Seaton Hall's defenders were pretty physical with 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 Mitch too. Like they were hugging him a little bit on screens, and uh you know when he caught it, they were kind of reaching at the ball. There were a, little, a few deflections. Now, he did break free for some open mid-range jumpers, and there was a three late in transition where he ball faked and a defender kind of moved, went for that fake, and he was, Mitch was wide open for a three. And mm-hmm. it's like that's a shot that normally goes down. But he was still 0 for 7 from the floor, and like you said, he didn't score. So you're like, how does how does the offense still keep humming without him sort of Putting the ball in the basket, but his presence made mm-hmm. the impact. Sure, yeah. You have to, you have to. You're so conscious of where he is on the floor that um, it it opens up space for other guys to roam. And when you take a defender out of the lane, remember there's. I mean, there's a lot of these plays in the second half where when Seton Hall was really pressed up on shooters, like Tyshawn Alexander would be on one side of the floor, Mitch Ballack would be on the other side, and both defenders would be, you know, within arm's length of him. You're mm-hmm. touching him basically. Which left the paint wide open. All of a sudden, you got Marcus Zagorowski setting a ball screen or, or kind of maneuvering around uh, up at the top of the key with a big man stepping out. And the opposing big man has to guard that. You know, he has he has to be up there. He can't be sagged off into the into the paint. He's got to take away that three-point shot from Marcus Zagorowski. So, the Jays, I mean, Zagorowski, back cut. um on uh, when he, he he sort of like faked that he was going for a dribble handoff and then back cut to the rim for a layup. Mm-hmm. Uh, he beat his man for a layup. Uh, they found Christian Bishop diving to the rim on one. I mean, it, I just thought the Jays were really good at making Seton Hall pay for that sort of strategy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of teams do this, by the way, and sometimes it has worked where they've really stretched out and taken away uh, that three-point shot. But Seton Hall, especially in the second half, um, was committed to that and the Jays were really good at countering it
1: I also think it's important to note you know you've put a bunch of videos on on Twitter about it but you know Miles Powell goes one of 11 from three and and he goes two of five from two he has two assists and four turnovers I mean Tyshawn really I mean there was one play you had uh, you post I mean he was right up on the ball right when it should be he's fighting through screens like I think that for him to do score 18 and be as efficient as he was from three four of eight and then also be able to guard Miles Powell and yeah. he played how many minutes he played 37 I mean that's a that's impressive like that that that's something that goes a long way
0: yeah it's like on one side it's impressive what Tyshawn was able to do defensively but then the other side as you mentioned like to be efficient as a scorer on offense when you're exerting so much effort defensively mm-hmm. and then still, you know, you're one of the go-to guys on offense and taking, uh, big time shots. And cause that yeah, doesn't happen was... very often.
1: A lot of times you'll see like, you know, if, if, if a big 10 team's going up against Cassius Winston and you know, their, their best, you know, guard is going to have to guard him. Then, the teams will coaches will say like we're okay if you'd aren't if you don't have it dif- you know offensively but you need to shut down right. Cassius Winston but to be able to do both that's that's super important
0: yeah yeah and he had this was I don't know if it's I'd still say the Marquette game when Tyshawn it's funny because like he, I, he didn't shut down Powell to be fair mm-hmm. he limited him yeah and he made him comfortable he didn't shut him down uh, Powell also missed some good looks sure At at various points. And he didn't, Tyshawn didn't shut down Marcus Howard in the first Marquette game at the start of the year when Howard finished with 18, but he made him uncomfortable. Right. And he did. Made it a little bit harder. And he did, probably, when you look at the stats, like he did a better job than most Mm -hmm. against probably almost, I'd imagine almost everyone against Marcus Howard. Uh, Miles Powell is one game in Big East play where he scored uh, less than 10 points. Against Xavier, I think he had nine. I think Najee Marshall drew that assignment for the most part and, and did a good job against Powell. So, Tyshawn Alexander's effort – I mean, Powell had nine points until there was like a second left. He banged, he banged in a three late. Mm-hmm. That was his first three. Yeah. So, you, you mentioned like one of 11 from three, yeah. but he was 0 of 10 until five seconds left. Um, so,
1: real quick though. So, you've got Kyrie and you've got Tyshawn, two guys that might be able to make some money off playing defense. Yeah, Tyree's making money? Right, yeah. right.
0: I don't. Yeah, what, what, what is that? Is
1: that is that Mac? Is that the system? Like, what, mm-hmm. what, what, what is the common thread between those two? Is it just the the guys themselves? Because that's right. What is yeah. that?
0: Well, part of it is sort of a need. Mm-hmm. Like Creighton, with the way that its roster has been formed under Coach McDermott in the Big East, like it has to have good perimeter defenders because on the back end of the yeah. defense, there hasn't been. Aside from Justin Patton, when he was there uh, at the rim blocking shots, the Jays haven't had a consistent rim protector mm-hmm. since they've been in the Big East. So they've needed perimeter defenders to um, stop the ball, uh, to slow down an opposing team's best scorer, best creator, best dribbler. And so I think that's part of it because the coaches are like, look, we, ha- we, we have need to. somebody. Yeah. So who's going who's gonna to step into this role? Kyrie was wired in a way that he—that's what he wanted to do. Regardless, it didn't matter if he played for Creighton or Kansas State, right? And he—he was going to be a lockdown defender in his in his mind. That was sort of his, um, that was always sort of his ticket to the next level. You know, when he was in middle school, that's how he's going to get on the floor as a high schooler and how he's going to get attention from college coaches and play at the next level in college, and then obviously in the NBA, got drafted because of his defense. Um, I'm curious to see what the buzz is for Tyshawn from an NBA perspective at at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Because there he's a junior, correct? Yeah, he's yeah. a junior. And there hasn't been a ton. You know, I look at those mock drafts, and I've seen see, see his name pop up a little bit as a potential second-round guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he – the thing about Kyrie is he had the NBA body. He was thick, um, 6'5", with a 6'11 wingspan, and um, he, he made threes at a consistent rate. So. He, he fit the mold of like, oh, he's a two guard who can guard one through four. Mm -hmm. Tyshawn Alexander is a little bit, a little bit shorter, not as long of a wingspan. So he maybe doesn't have the potential to stretch out to guard a four. Maybe he's good at defending a one, two or three, but there's still a place for a player like that in the league, especially given his scoring prowess. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am curious to see now that, because he's made tons of improvements, he didn't come to Creighton as a defender. um, He like, kind of like i said about creighton needing somebody to step up he saw that as an opportunity he's told us a a few times this year that like you know if i want to play at the next level i know that i can't just be a scorer Mm -hmm. um and he's like there's i remember he said something specific about like there's tons of guys in the nba who you know maybe yeah everyone wants to be the go-to guy this the the um the damian lillard the steph curry um to James Harden who has the ball in their hands and's, you know, making tons of money obviously mm-hmm. and, and is the superstar. But he's like, look at how many guys are in the league that are just playing their role and making a ton of money doing that and having a blast playing ball. He's like, I don't mind if I that's who I am. Yeah, yeah. So I think Which it, you don't get a lot. That's that's right. mature perspective. Right. A lot he's of guys like,
1: think like, well, no matter what, I can be that guy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so he's like, I, I just want I want to do everything I can to help my team and then hopefully NBA Scouts will look at it and say, okay, he's, maybe he can do that same thing at the next level. And, that's mm-hmm. what, and he's comfortable mm-hmm. having that role. So I think he kind of bought into that knowing that he can't just be a one-dimensional player. He had to do more things and impact the game in other ways. So Tyshawn's really elevated his game. And I think, I mean, I would be, I think he is in, the content, in, in contention to, to, uh, to be named Big East Defensive Player of the Year. We'll see how it shakes out. He's still got another matchup against Marcus Howard and he's yeah, got Miles another Powell. one against Miles Powell. Mm-hmm. Both of those players are going to be like licking their chops a little bit to say, we need to prove something against you. Right. Um, but what he's done during Big East play, Tyson, uh, against some really good perimeter scores has been incredibly impressive. And so, yeah, Creighton's an offensive oriented program. They're about pushing tempo and letting it fly. Yeah. They bring guys, they recruit to that. And then they get here, and then Creighton's like, well, you know, we can't... The coaches are like, "Like, we can't outscore everybody. we can right. got to defend. And yeah. it took Tyshawn and, and Mitch Ballick and, and Marcus Agarowski some time to sort of buy into that principle of, hey, got to bring that same sort of energy defensively, but they bought into it now. Yeah. And for Tyshawn, it's really elevated his game yeah. uh, to another
1: level. Do you want to talk about Big East Race real quick? Yeah, we'll mention it. Um, so, so I... I, this is interesting to me. So you look at Creighton's remaining schedule, um, and it's, it lines up pretty nice. Ken Palm has them losing once. So it's DePaul, Marquette, Butler, St. John's, Georgetown, and Seton Hall. And then you look at Seton Hall's final schedule, and it's pretty tough. It is tough. They've got, but- they got Providence, and then Butler, St. John's, and then you end with Marquette, Villanova, and Creighton. And that that final Creighton game is in Omaha,
0: right? Is and the that, Marquette game's on the road.
1: Do you think yeah. that? Do you think that, that Creighton final game at home is for a share of the Big East title? Right,
0: it could be. Pull up Villanova's schedule real quick because okay. I'm kind of curious. Ken Palm has Seton Hall going four and two down the stretch.
1: Um, I yes, <clears throat> correct.
0: So in, in Ken Palm's world right now, Seton Hall wins wins the yeah. conference by a game
1: um Villanova they play Temple uh yeah it doesn't count yeah just out of conference for whatever reason why the heck
0: are they playing Temple on February 16th Villanova part of Philly's like big five thing you know they always play each other so I don't I'm not quite sure why it got pushed all the way to that seems like a December 21st game (laughs) like what are you doing
1: um so they get DePaul Xavier St. John's Providence Seton Hall Georgetown that's not bad if Nova plays the way that they could play, but Kenpom, and they tried Kenpom really, have losing three. Of they haven't losing three games yet, but they they tried really hard to lose that game last night. Yeah, they tried game, no really hard. Blew a
0: uh, an eighteen point lead or something. Yeah, and they
1: were up. I was because I, I was watching. They were up um, like eight with two minutes left, and uh, Marcus Howard had a, had the ball. They were down three with, like, five seconds left, and he tried to, like, throw it off the backboard to, like, hit the rim and Mm -hmm. get it, whatever, and and kind of screwed up. Um, But, so, okay, so...
0: But that's interesting. Yeah, Villanova kind of feels like it's not quite playing great. I mean, lost three in a row, obviously, and then had to find a, like, sort of find a way to hang on late against Marquette. So maybe Villanova finds another gear. Maybe. But...
1: It does kind of seem like a two-horse race, Ken Palm
0: says it's a two-horse race. Yeah. So Creighton's going to need Seton Hall to lose at another another time uh, yeah. obviously than just so they need to beat
1: yeah. seton hall at the very end of the year and then they need them to lose to either marquette or villanova yeah. that's pretty good odds in my opinion chance, like that's, that's there, a, there's, there's definitely a chance, a chance that. that that happens yeah. but
0: that's also assuming that creighton uh, also doesn't lose true so creighton can't that lose. is true
1: creighton cannot lose they have to creighton has to win out and seton hall needs to lose once before the before the creighton the, game. Before the yeah. seton hall rematch yeah
0: yeah, I think that it's possible that Creighton will lose to Marquette, but Seton Hall will also lose to Marquette, mm-hmm. and then and then the, what do we Then add? the question is whether or not Seton Hall loses at Providence or loses to Villanova at mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Both of those games were losses for Creighton. Creighton lost to Providence, lost to Villanova at home. Mm-hmm. So Creighton needs one of those to go the same way that it went for itself. Yeah. So, what, what
1: again? What were they projected?
0: Um, Fourth. Creighton? Yeah. At the start of the year? Yeah. The coaches picked him seventh. Oh, <laughs>
1: okay. Well. Yeah. They're gonna do better than that.
0: <laughs> they are they are I picked him fourth. I picked yeah, Creighton that, fourth. Yeah, yeah. I think I had it uh Villanova, Seton Hall, Xavier Creighton. Yeah. And uh and so I it's to me it's not I mean it's it's a surprise to see Creighton if you would have told me that they had a chance to win the Big East, I would have said, Yeah, I not expecting that because it yeah. felt like Seton Hall and, and Nova had a just a little bit of cut above everybody else going into the year, but uh, they've done a really good job, yeah. as I said off the top, of just maximizing who they are. And this and might just to what they what they do well. And
1: this might just be me, but as important as it is to win your conference, and obviously it'd be a big deal, it'd be really cool, all these things. I still think it'd be a much bigger deal if even if you don't win the conference, you don't win the conference tournament. If they go to the Sweet Sixteen, yeah. then that's way more important. No. Doubt. That's what you remember. And so right. that's the thing I you have think to also It's keep in mind. harder
0: to win the regular season championship in a power conference league. I I agree. And then get to the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. But apparently I almost like sorry, go ahead. Go ahead I I think you should be you should get a lot of praise for that. Yes. But in college basketball, it doesn't work like that. Well it's
1: you, weird. It's weird. Like if you win the regular season, it almost doesn't matter.
0: No, it doesn't matter at all.
1: All it means is like, hey, you got the one seed. In the, because you think yeah. about this. Like, so think about this. I can't off the top of my head tell you where Iowa State finished when Fred Herberg was at Iowa State in the regular season. But I can tell you that they won two tournaments. Yes. And that's what people remember. March. Yes. Yeah. That's the only thing that matters. Right. Not the only thing, but it really matters.
0: Yeah, that's what matters. Um yeah, because Kansas won all those regular season titles, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, Duh. That's, yeah. I think
1: I think they – I don't think they shared it with Iowa State once. I think maybe yeah. they shared it with Baylor once or something. Right. Um, yeah, that's a very good point. But, yeah, but,
0: and I, I think it, it, when you're playing against your peers who know you very well and you're able to perform on a consistent basis for two months, I think that – especially in, in the Big East where everyone plays, each, everyone plays the same schedule. Yeah. So it's a pretty good – barometer of what kind of team you are but again this Creighton program which you know I think over the last 20 years has made the more NCAA tournaments how do I phrase it they've made the most NCAA tournaments without a sweet 16 birth in the country nobody else has been to the tournament more without going to the sweet 16 the Jays haven't been to the sweet 16 since the NCAA tournament reformatted itself in the 80s or whatever it was so um it's kind of like the uh elephant in the room oh yeah Every time you talk about where creighton is as a program and what needs to be accomplished is can they get to a sweet 16 it's honestly quite remarkable that the jays over the last 20 years given how often they were in the tournament didn't well it's also i it. mean to,
1: to the but, same to the same but different extent it's it's also remarkable that nebraska is the only power five school Power six school i guess that's
0: never won a tournament a tournament game, game yeah. especially
1: so we, considering like they were a three seed a couple times yeah like, it's it's a weird, a weird. point. We like talked at a about this point, last would... year
0: about, like, this weird, like, I don't know what it is. We we said it, like, there was some sort of curse. There was something that up. happened. Yeah, there because was definitely something that, that happened. We talked about it last year because Nebraska tanked, had a good team, looked yeah. like it had an opportunity to win a game, uh, win an NCAA tournament game. Tanked, Creighton, obviously, the last few years in the NCAA tournament, um, has been in position to make a run and, and hasn't. Uh, UNO has been like on the brink of making the yep. NCAA tournament and lost in, in title games. There's something weird. We got to break this. Cycle. I know, I don't it's, know gotta, what it's gotta it's gotta. Half court press point. podcast can do <laughs> to like end it. Probably nothing, but <laughs> maybe just acknowledging. You maybe acknowledging
1: weird, that it's a curse. That there's weird stuff going. We'll make on. it go away. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and so we can we can feel the vibes. What's um, switch to Nebraska? Okay. The Huskers came up, like we said at 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 the top. That they came up just short at Maryland. Um, a valiant effort by Nebraska and I think maybe I mean we've seen this team play well at other points in the year across the year before it's been a while but to me I think it's like a blueprint of what or maybe um a uh, sort of example of what Nebraska will look like mm-hmm. in the future mm-hmm. next year two years down the road a little bit a little bit more size obviously but yeah, like, it, that that type of fight yeah. Um, yeah, that's the, a good way to put it. The the pace that I mean Nebraska got Maryland in transition a few times mm-hmm. and you know that's like top of mind it should be uh for the Terrapins going into that game. So just like the way they shared the ball, worked together, never, you know, saw like some of those I was watching the bench a mm-hmm. lot for Nebraska mm-hmm. and the way that they were cheering each other on like I saw Cam Mack going crazy on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um I think maybe Hanif when he went wild for that Sort of stretch, like the bench is going nuts. I just thought that that you know it was forty minutes, so you got to put it in the context with the rest of the season, obviously. Yeah. But for that but 40 it's still minutes, yeah. I mean, this is a game that like someone very smartly pointed out. I picked them
1: to lose by thirty. I didn't think they had even even a kind of a chance. Yeah. And so I think a lot of different things happen at once. I think um Maryland. uh Decided in the second half, like, we got this. This is fine. These guys aren't very good, and we're just going to kind of snooze. So you kind of get that. Yeah. Um, I think Hanif Cheatham had something different going. I mean, he scored 20. He only played 26 minutes. He played through a calf contusion, which is not, ho- not easy yeah. because that you use your calf literally every time you do anything in basketball, so, which is why I didn't think he'd play because, like, that's so hard to, to come from. But I think they benefited from a really late tip – They got there the day before, so he got treatment all day, and Fred Hoiberg said it was a game-time decision, and boy, it was a good decision, too. Um, He played extremely well. What was interesting was, I think, it also showed kind of what you get with Fred Hoiberg as your coach, because I think the initial game plan was take every open three you find, take every open shot you get, because we don't really wanna mess around in the lane, we don't really want to mess around with these guys. Let's shoot it as fast as humanly possible. Get your first open look. And Nebraska did that. And they started one for 10 from three. Yeah. And they kind of fell behind. And Maryland kind of, you know, was off. Like, they didn't look very good. Um, unbelievably disappointing crowd. I mean, there was nobody there. Um, so there didn't really have energy there. And Nebraska made some shots. And they were able to kind of keep it interesting. But that second half, I think that Fred Hoiberg has preached on it so much about how disappointed he's been in the last couple games of Nebraska's first five, six minutes in the second half that they turned it on to an extent where they were like, let's finally break this curve. Let's just break this. Let's just actually start playing well. They came out and they made seven of the first nine shots. In the first couple minutes of that second half, they abandoned the, let's take the first open three we find. And they got into the lane and they found this. I think Nebraska has done an extremely good job in the last couple games of, like basically working the baseline and putting two guys in the short corner and driving and dishing and actually scoring yeah. inside. Um, they 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 actually made their layups for once, which it's you know which is tough to do against Maryland. Tough to do against one against Maryland. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nebraska. I think that they're they're no longer last. I don't think and shots blocked. Um, let's see. They are three hundred fiftieth. So there's yeah. a couple teams worse, um, but they but they were scoring inside and pump fakes. Guys, come on. Yeah. Well, when you're that when you're small, yeah. know. Um, <laughs> it's only so much you can do. Right. And so it's, what's so interesting to me is like this box score makes no sense in a way where okay they win seventy two to seventy but they shot twenty one percent from three. That's not what you want from a Fred Hoiberg team. Yeah. And um, Cam Mack only scores four points. He goes one for ten. And so it's like, well, how did this happen? I think they defended really well. I think again Maryland was for whatever reason just hit the snooze button um some of the quotes after the game from Mark Turgeon were oh, like yeah. they put they did a number on Mark Turgeon like it was like holy cow man um but i think what this this you know again you don't i don't think you want to make too much of any one single game but i think the one thing that I've getting, been getting a lot this year in emails and on, on Twitter and, and even from just friends is like Nebraska needs a big man. They need a big man. They need a six eleven. You can't win without a big man in the Big Ten. And one of the reasons why I thought this game was going to be a 30-point, you know, whatever, is Maryland in some ways right now is what is exactly what you want as a Big Ten team, right? You have a senior guard and Anthony Cowan, who does exactly what you want him to do. You've got some size, you've got some shooters, you've got Jalen Smith, who's, you know, you always kind of want, that's, I think that's kind of the big 10 prototype where you have like a miles bridges or a Cody Zeller or a Jalen Smith, where you have um, this big guy, this four and five that can really dominate a game. Yeah.
0: Versatile enough to where it's not just your your true sort of like plotting five. Right, right. But can, not
1: but and even like to, to can your move point, a little bit. To your point, and, even yeah. like John Teske, right? John Teske can can move it outside and all those things. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the, the thing that you get against Nebraska that people want is like, well, you need to have a five. Well, Kevin Cross was Nebraska's five and he's maybe six seven <laughs> and they only lost by two. Right. And now Kevin didn't have a great game, but what he did do, I mean, there were times where it was just straight up five out straight up five out. Let's not even mess with the lane. And I don't view that as like a kind of fluky junk offense that you just do once or twice. Like I think Nebraska will have some size next year with Derek Walker and, but he's not like the Jalen Smith, Cody Zeller, Miles Bridges. And you have Delano Banton who again is not any of those guys either. Like I think that what this game taught me is there is a possibility that this system actually will work in a big 10 when you are always going to be the smallest team, you mm-hmm. know, because I think that, and like, again, we also have to remember most of Hoiberg's offense still isn't even in, like they still run like a lot of the, a lot of similar stuff. And, you know, there's things that you are able to do with people who are currently not playing that you just cannot do with these and, guys. You know,
0: what was interesting was when we did that story about um, Creighton in Nebraska mm-hmm. pushing tempo and playing, some really innovative offense one of the things that McDermott said about Hoiberg was that what he could tell was that the plays it, it was it was like it's almost like they were at Hoiberg 101 and they had it elevated to 201 or 301 yet because they didn't have all the counters to mm-hmm. the plays they, mm-hmm. like some of the set plays are in But then what Hoiberg is so good at is like, oh, you think something's coming, then all of a sudden, bam, he hits you with a counter. He's got multiple counters to different looks and like that piece wasn't there yet. And so, you know, obviously with more time and off season to actually like sit down and work with these guys right. like it's going to look different and and It'll i also more, more more efficient
1: the other thing i want to bring up too is like so this they're coming off of the penn state loss which they didn't look good in in iowa which they were looked as bad as they have ever looked and i was thinking about this you know the last time nebraska lost this many in a row to end a season was uh 2014-15 so that was the year after the NCAA tournament uh bid and that season, they lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in a row, nine in a row. Excuse me. Um, and they were competitive in some of those games, but it just didn't look like they really wanted to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there were just times where it was like, this is. And, and I've heard talk, you know, from people of like, well, has Hoiberg lost the locker room, like, as are these, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, like, is, is this going to work kind of a thing? And I think that that game, like, you don't go out and play that hard against the number nine team in the country on the road if you're not playing for your coach and if you don't believe what's what's going to work, work, especially when you start one for 10 from three and you start so poorly and you walk onto the floor and you're like, I have to share this court with this guy, Jalen Smith, who's right, right. like a freak of nature.
0: Yeah, what do you think Kevin Gross was
1: thinking? I don't know. Kevin's like, probably like, like, oh, yikes. Looking <laughs> yeah. up like, right. uh... Um, so sure. I think I think that this is an in, it's an interesting case study. Um, but I also think, again, one I think you can't quite treat it as a win, but you can almost like I think that this is something where they didn't win, but it's but it's weird because feel like so much better afterwards. Yeah, and you know I don't mean? know how
0: the players feel exactly, and you know we probably won't know it. Until maybe a couple months out of their season, but like when I'm looking at Nebraska, I'm not looking at wins and losses. I haven't been right. looking at wins and losses since you know the Big East or Big Ten plays start restarted. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as it was January, it's like, well, it's not about wins and losses for this team. It's like what what tangible elements of of progress can you find that'll be applica- applicable next year, yeah, or two years. And so that's what this game was yeah. for me. Is like, oh man, that. Like, like everything that you're saying about what Nebraska could be without necessarily a true center, but with the way that it runs its offense and the way that it can scrap and fight defensively, it could work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was a, again, and it was a. You
0: obviously got to do it more consistently. You sure. Just, yeah. You can't lose totally. by 40 to, or be down by 40 to Iowa and then, you know. Come back. Yeah. It's a it's, roller coaster. Right. Like
1: it's a, this whole season has been a total roller coaster um and so it's interesting to me because i wonder too you know i i've I've talked about how i think the college basketball season is like some phases and you've got you know beginning and then you've got you know the beginning you beginning of the season like the non-conference it doesn't really matter and then you have you know kind of the the tournament phase and then you have the beginning of the big 10 play phase and then you have the grind and what we're about to hit is the final push right about to hit you know early March you know late late February early March towards the final push and you've got a couple more games left and so I'm I'm curious if this Maryland game is a sign of all right there's there's a couple wins coming or there's a couple games coming so like they've got Wisconsin and I don't think Wisconsin's all that great Wisconsin beat Nebraska because they made a school record three pointers yeah yeah and so they're That's going right. they're going Nebraska's going to have to change the defense a little bit I would be floored if Wisconsin had the same type of shooting night, especially inside PBA where teams, it takes a minute to kind of get used to that arena, I
0: think. Um, well, teams just haven't shot it great there. And teams haven't shot it most, great there, most, you're right. Most teams haven't. Yeah. Or and if so, you look at the splits, it's like, well, produce kind of – actually, most teams in the Big Ten are like this, where they go on the road, they just don't shoot as well. As right, really well, right, so. exactly. So there's no way they're going to shoot as well. Yeah. Um,
1: you do have Michigan State after that, and that's going to be tough. You have Illinois, but – you've got some injuries with Illinois now. So we'll kind of see what's going on there, but that is on the road. Um, You have a weird Ohio state team coming to Lincoln that beyond me, what's going on there. Um, A Northwestern game that is winnable because Northwestern isn't any good. Um, And then you finish with Michigan and Minnesota. Now, Michigan, I believe is just ahead of Nebraska still. Nope. Indiana. So Michigan jumped ahead a little bit. Um, So now
0: Michigan got livers back. That's yes. Yes. It's huge. So that's going to be hard. Maybe the Wolverines, but it is a, a,
1: and that is on the road. So that's going to be hard. But then there's Minnesota. That's also on the road and Minnesota is kind of hit or miss. So you, there are, if you can shake some loose, if you can have a good night, like I think if Nebraska played as hard as they did against Maryland and they shot a little bit better, they could, they could beat Wisconsin. They could be, they beat Northwestern. They could be Minnesota. Um, Right now, you know, we're not going to talk as much like big 10 race because, Nebraska is definitely not going to win the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> but right now, as it stands, um, they're 13th, and in Indianapolis they would play Indiana first round. Yeah, um, And Indiana is um, a train wreck. Um, Archie Miller
0: is sweating Do, do you feel profusely. like it's, it's, it, it, something's up? It is Indiana feels a little off, but also it could just be the Big Ten. I mean, you look at well, some I of these think teams that, like, Michigan hit a skid. If you have like one little flaw, all of a sudden it becomes yeah. a huge issue. Sure. And then you lose like three or four in a row. Like how many teams have lost a lot or just had bad skids yeah. in this league? Because it's you, like
1: climbing a mountain. You cannot you cannot you can't touch you cannot like step on that mossy log. Like you have yeah. to you have to stay on the course. And I I think Indiana in particular, um, I think they have the wrong head coach for that program. But everyone loves Archie. Sure, yeah. That's why they brought Bobby Knight back so that they could distract people from the fact that their team isn't very good. It
0: didn't work out very nicely. For
1: <laughs> Nobody him. was talking about the fact that Indiana lost at home to Purdue. Nobody. Everyone was <laughs> except, talking about Bobby Knight.
0: Purdue fans. Um, uh, but no.
1: But Indiana fans left that left that that game being like, "Well, that was cool," but also, "What the hell?" Yeah. Um. So all I'm saying, all I'm saying is, at this moment, Nebraska would play Indiana in Indianapolis, a weird Indiana team. Um. And so maybe they steal one there. Like I think that at the be- beginning at the beginning of Big 10 play, we talked about, you know, how many how many legitimate games could Nebraska actually win in the Big 10 and I think that we said 3. Yeah. Right? We did. They're currently at 2. Right. I think, the, yeah. yeah. I think they could definitely <laughs> win one. I think they could definitely win one. I think they could definitely win another one. they yeah. win a couple. We'll see.
0: Um I think that's probably all we got. Yeah. We'll be back again shortly to talk more hoops. Yeah. Um this is the best time of year, I think. Maybe March. I don't we're
1: know. about to be the best time of the year. It's close. It's like we're yeah. still we're still inching toward. Um, but, like, especially, especially now is the time when you start looking at... Now is when you can start to actually mit- take, you know, NCAA tournament seedings a, a little, little bit seriously. Yeah, a little bit serious.
0: The committee came out with its top 16. Yeah. So.
1: You can start to look at stuff, and it's also... Especially if you're, you know, you live in Omaha or you live in the Nebraska area. Now it's starting to be like, oh, hey, like you know they're yeah, coming soon right the first and second round i think it's pretty it's clear pretty, that kansas is coming here and it might
0: yeah. be like baylor comes here too boy so if, i if, if we get two one seeds or if baylor slips to two or ku so to so two, i don't know how it's going to shake out um that could be that could be a lot of fun because like i feel like the so one baylor could eight, get nine game and or the two seven ten game whatever that mm-hmm. second round game is mm-hmm. there's potential for upsets and so it would be so, so theoretically we could
1: it could be Kansas is midwest they go to Omaha. Baylor is the south and they go wherever south is. Gonzaga well, gets the, the, the first west. Souths go to state or excuse me San Diego
0: State gets the east. They've talked that's what that's how the committee laid it out. Huh. San Diego State got shipped to the east. But the first and second rounds they'll send you wherever. It's just like whatever's closest. So I I don't know. I've seen Baylor in certain spots yeah. push to Omaha. I've also seen like Iowa here is like a three sure. seed or a yeah. four seed. Yeah. Um, I think I saw someone. Tom I mean, is the one that wants that. Did Tom draw up Iowa, Northern Iowa in the first round? Like that would oh, be, that'd be delicious.
1: Amazing. I love, I love that. Then somebody like the tournament selection. They're like, Oh, well we don't care about narratives in the tournament. It, we it, don't do it, which does. is like total crap. Um, But I would be surprised though. I, I think if KU is a one seed, they're coming here. I yeah, would be no surprised doubt. if they, if they brought Baylor here instead. Well, that would Casey's, be a bummer for everybody KU's because here for sure, Baylor no doubt. is... But
0: Baylor could come as well. That's my thing. It's like... Yeah. They, they could... Maybe they uh, find a way to make um, make them both come here, but...
1: They've lost once, but boy, I watched them the other night, and I wanted to... Like, I was on a treadmill, and I wanted to, like, fall onto the treadmill, and it would be... It would have been more fun getting, like, rolling my ankle Did than they watching... they still have... Oh,
0: they gosh, still have KU um, twice? Is that how they, this schedule works out?
1: Yep. They get... So, they have... They finish with... They get West Virginia... Oklahoma, They have to play KU, um, and then they end with West Virginia. They have to play West Virginia twice in the next couple of weeks, but they do play KU, but it's in Waco. I mean,
0: remember, Baylor beat
1: KU in Lawrence. Um, weird KU team, too.
0: Um, oh, so they only have KU once, but they have West Well, they played
1: KU twice. They have, they have them one more time. One more time. Is time. Is what That's what, what I mean. Yeah. yeah, one
0: more time, and then West Virginia twice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we'll see.
0: All right. If Creighton and Nebraska play today, who you got?
1: I mean i have Creighton for sure. <laughs> um are we talking Penn State Energy or
0: Maryland Energy? Right. Maryland Energy. Let's
1: Nebraska at its best.
0: It's like if the site. two teams if the two teams played at Baxter like, like right? the way they played the last couple last Creighton night, by 15. Yeah, I'd say that's. About but, it's, right. but
1: it's but it's but it's a 15 where it's like it's it's closer. It's actually yeah. And not like, cuz again, I was thinking about this. It's weird. Do You know remember how much Creighton beat Nebraska by?
0: 19. Yeah,
1: but it felt like what? 40? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was just a weird. So I think it'd be 15, but it felt like 10, right?
0: All right. We'll be back again next week. To talk some hoops. Thanks for listening.